Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasperi. This is Frank Pelican. This is episode seventy-five, and we are covering tonight the top five tropical movies. Um, Frank, do you remember why this list came about? Because I don't anymore. No, I don't. I think we were just thinking like maybe we should do something that was summer themed. Mm. And um, Makes one sense. of us said like, "What about like the top tropical movies?" And I don't know. That's about as far as it got. Yeah. And then I like had to think of ones that fit it. Right. And here we are. Okay. <laughs> you sound real excited about this list. <laughs> um, I legitimately enjoyed watching all these movies, but it wasn't like. It's not like I mean it's not even really a genre, so you know. it's a it's a strange list. I mean, I mean we've done the summer movies last year. We did the winter movies in like, January, yeah. and now we have the tropical movies. And um, so yeah, going by like kind of like setting or milieu or whatever, like it's uh yeah, it's it's they, they make for interesting lists. Um, so this is interesting. I don't. I don't know much more to say about that, um, but it's interesting. Um, it was really you, it was it was hard to come up with. Yeah. Honestly. So I was going to ask you, like, did was if there was anything else, like, at all that you could, or was this kind of like what you could get out of this topic? So I thought about Tropic Thunder and mm-hmm. stuff like. There's some of the Italian, um, like zombie slash cannibal horror stuff. So like Zombie 3 and uh, Cannibal Holocaust and Island of the Cannibal God. And there's a bunch of stuff like that that are all really um, like tropic themed. And then there's the like real specific cannibal stuff. Um, and then there's things that take place in like, I don't know, what would you call that? Like the Pacific Island area, like so Vietnam and Laos and. I thought about maybe putting that Rambo movie from like ten years ago on there, hmm. um, but so so what? Us, yeah, go ahead. What, what what made you come up with like what was your criteria when you were thinking about some of those movies for I what you ended wanted, up picking? I kind of wanted things that took place on islands more than anything, mm-hmm. like they were very specific, like in the tropics. Um, and then I started thinking about stuff that I liked. Like, always, I go to, like, my nostalgia picks. So there was stuff I liked as a kid that made the list. Um, And then a couple of movies that I, you know, three movies that I think are, like, legitimately still really good movies. Well, one that's a really funny movie. I don't know if it's good, but then two other ones. I also thought about the Pirates. Not not only the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, Mm -hmm. um, but also uh, the Pirates, the Pirate movie, the Polanski movie or whatever, Pirates, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, like, I, I guess, like, when I made the list, this is, like, because I, the Pirates of the Caribbean, I was thinking, like, well, I don't want to watch those again, so I can't really put them on, like, a best of list. Like, it would have just been, like, cheating just because it was easy, you know? You liked the first one initially, right? I still, so I still think the first two are good, Mm -hmm. and the third one is okay, like, it's got some decent stuff. Um... But I, like, there's just there's no interest there to me. Yeah. It's one of those things like I don't know, like the original Iron Man or something like where I appreciated it and liked it when it came out, but I never want to watch it again. So, right. 
I guess yeah, I that makes any sense. No, I can see that. And when I when I because the list originally I think was like ten or twelve movies, and they dropped down to these five, and these were the ones that when I thought about them, I was like, yeah, I want to watch those again. So hmm. you're probably uh, probably not a fan of my decision, at least one of the state in one of the instances. Right. Uh, Bledsoe is going to be really disappointed that Fifty First Dates isn't on this list. Oh, I don't even consider that a movie. Fifty <laughs> First Dates is actually one of the better Sandler movies, like for for those like comedies. I thought, but yeah, I I've never given Fifty First Dates a fair shake, but it's, it's exactly what you think it is with that that type of humor. I mean, like, but it's what's one of the better versions of like those movies. Yeah, it's another movie. I just I don't care to see that movie again. So yeah. All right. Anything else here? So thematically, this does tie into. I guess. I guess we kind of had a. We did have the theme going, like when we talked about this originally, because we are doing this this week. Next week, we're doing the top five worst blockbusters of all time, and then the week after that, the top five best blockbusters of all time, and then we're ending July with the best Americana movie. So I'm assuming it's like we have this kind of nebulous summer beach America kind of theme going on a little bit sure. um right so so that's what we have coming up um so we'll go ahead and talk about tropical settings when nobody can go anywhere um because everybody's blocking us from traveling <clears throat> so um so maybe you can watch these movies and feel a sense of um getting away a little bit all right. Are you ready to jump in here? Because I'm, I'm, dre- I'm, dre- I'm dreading talking about this first movie. Yeah. Let me say that in hindsight, we probably would have been better going with top five movies that take place in, a, in an exotic locale or something. I would have had a more expansive list that way. Hmm. But hey, here we are. So let's go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, these movies are interesting, even if um, they're not well known or, um, well, some of them. And then... Um, no, depending. We'll see. All right. So number one or number five on your list is Live and Let Die, the James Bond movie from 1973. It's directed by Guy Hamilton. It stars Roger Moore, Yafa Kato, Jane Seymour, Julius Harris, and Clifton James. It has a 66% from critics and a 65% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about the specific Bond movie and why it is that it's on this list? So um, first Roger Moore Bond movie uh, taken over for the extremely popular Sean Connery, um, who was offered the Bond role in this and turned it down. Um, basically follows Bond in probably his, like, smallest assignment ever, maybe, which is, like, nothing, like, world-threatening or overly terroristic. It's basically just to decrease the amount of heroin coming into the United States. And not even, like, the overall amount of heroin, just one guy bringing heroin in like stopping that one person from bringing heroin in. So it's really like not very Bond-esque in that sense. Um, It also doesn't have a whole lot of like spy elements to it. So it's more just kind of like a weird, like unfortunate take on black exploitation from like a British perspective, I guess. Yeah. Um, that's exactly what I thought is that I looked at the time period and I was like, oh, yeah, they're trying to capitalize on that. Oh, yeah. So Bond is tasked with, there's three mysterious deaths of British agents around the world. 
that can all be tied to um fuck i've already forgotten his name the yafet kodo character magana or whatever um or no kagama whatever i can't remember the name yeah it's the president of um a small fictional uh caribbean country named um shit san something anyway some like island country where um these people were all investigating they died so bond comes to america basically almost dies in harlem um ends up tracking um yafet kodo to the island uh where he kanaga is his name kanaga right thank you um does his bond stuff but in like a really like weird like smart like not even smarmy like creepy and crass kind of way like it's not his usual like suave and i don't know if maybe that was roger moore just like not knowing the character well enough because there's a couple roger moore movies like later in his run that are much better than this one um but basically bond like disrupts their heroin smuggling or their poppy growing um whatever operation and then goes back to the united states and like destroys their heroin production facility um in new orleans and then goes back to the island where he ultimately achieves victory over uh um kagawa um there's a voodoo element to it um that's played pretty straight like both with tarot card reading and like like voodoo like magic-esque whatever i don't know what you would call it um one of my favorite like stylistically one of my favorite bond villains in baron samity um who kind of plays like a really small part in the movie he's more or less just there so they can have like the visual representation of like a voodoo hogan or whatever but it's 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 a really cool look um i think the first black bond girl yes it was um who's played as a complete idiot and who dies an idiot and a traitor who's also then a traitor again because she kind of refuses to give up bond and then dies like super easy like to basically save um whatever her this white man that like turned her out or whatever yeah and then um jane seymour as a white uh tarot card reader named solitaire Um, yeah solitaire who is also like basically robbed of her powers by Bond taking her virginity, which is a really creepy. That, that was it was it was one of many uncomfortable things in this movie. Yeah, and he tricks her into doing it, so it's really mm-hmm. kind of like like rapey. Yes, at the outset, and also like the worst kind of rapey because it's the rapey where she's like, "Oh, but now I'm in love with you." Yeah. So, um, not a whole lot to like really like praise about the movie in that respect um the stuff that's in louisiana and on the island are is really cool like i like those locales a lot um the speedboat speedboat chase is like completely over the top and ridiculous um the racism is like so blatant but it's like so british too that it's it's just weird and like they mock like blatant american racism by having a buford t pusser type character yeah as like a joke 
that basically gets his comeuppance like repeatedly because he's a racist. Um, and Bond just has that colonial British racism of like, it's not that I hate you because you're a different color. It's I'm just better than you because I'm a British white man, basically. So, right. Um, see, I probably haven't really like done much to. <laughs> I was gonna say, what did you? Uh, right. I was gonna ask the same question again. What did you like about this movie? So when I was like, I saw this movie when I was four or five years old, um, on cable or whatever, like in the afternoon after the horror movies went off. And I was fascinated with this movie as like a child. And I had the Viewmaster series for this movie that was like my favorite Viewmaster. Like I used to look at it all the time because it was, you know, the snakes and Samity and mm-hmm. um, Teehee or whatever with like his iron claw. Um, can you can you quickly explain maybe what just quickly what a Viewmaster is for people that... Um, a Viewmaster was a thing that was created in the 50s for like theater crowds where basically instead of coming attractions you well i guess in, as a supplement to coming attractions you would have um a viewmaster they're basically like self-contained binoculars you put over your eyes and then you put a mini slideshow in them and you depress a plunger and it flips through the different slides and you can see pictures for movies and they usually have like some kind of like text on them that tell you what's happening in the movie um and it's illuminated through the light coming in through an opaque filter in the front so it's almost like the effect of like watching a movie on the screen in the way that it goes um but you know i mean it's like all still images but i I loved my viewmaster when i was a little kid yeah and i had this live and let die um (laughs) Viewmaster that had like all these cool scenes, um, and I don't know. It's just a really I dug it. I I think it's got probably a top five um, theme song. Really, it's sure. like one of my favorite. That wings, yeah, and completely, uh, completely kind of like outside of the norm for a Bond song too. Yeah, very. Um, instead of being like kind of. I don't know what you call it, like operatic or like whatever. It was, it was very pop, like very rock. Um, and it's a really good song. And then they, they have extrapolations of the song several times during the movie that's actually right. like some of the best parts of the movie. Um, Bond is an idiot in this movie for the most part. Uh, like he gets tricked so many times in ways that, I mean, I guess maybe you could argue that he's doing it on purpose to get closer to um the bad guys but it really is just dumb but like he's doctor who uh, yeah, yeah. No, so I, I don't i don't think he's doing it on purpose i think he's just right, dumb you're right fine it's fine it doesn't work um i don't know that's it uh it's a, it's a really really poor performance from not a poor performance but a really like tone deaf performance by roger moore like he doesn't understand who james bond is really you almost get the feeling that he's almost never even seen a James Bond movie, so he's kind of playing him. I mean, he's really kind of just a cad during the whole movie. Yeah. My my only note on this that I wrote after I watched it, um, and I had been had a couple drinks, is Moore's fucking awful. He's attempting to be charming at every turn, but lacks any soul to be charming. I hated this movie. So I don't 
Do you you really think he's like? I don't feel like he's trying to be charming. I think, I think he's trying to be charming. And then he doesn't know what charm is. I don't know. Yes. Right. I mean, what's he's in? Um, I think he's like trying to be like too cool for school, like charming. Like, he's in Octopussy, I think, and you only live twice, maybe. Yeah, I think that's right. And those are those are much better Bond movies than this. I mean, it really is just it's it's a really weird anomaly in the James Bond like. And I'm not the biggest Bond fan. Like I like Bond movies like well enough, but I don't like love Bond movies. Yeah, but I, I can even find like stuff that I appreciate in every Bond movie I watch. Mm-hmm. And in this one, it's like I, I I feel the like the nostalgia pang more of like oh man, I remember loving that when I was young. Mm-hmm. But I mean, some of the stuff in this movie is hilarious. Like I laughed so much at this movie unintentionally. Like, especially Yafet Koto's death with the gas canister. Yes. Where he blows up like a balloon and then explodes uh-huh. against the the roof. Yes. And, and what, what, is, what does Bond say? Oh, he was just full of hot air? I mean, come on. That's yeah. it's terrible. Like, it's, it's so bad. Um, yeah, that's, I, I think I, I think, I think I texted you that maybe, I guess, like, is that I thought the best thing of this movie was the fact that so many of the Austin Powers jokes came from it. Yeah. Because, you know, because they're in this tank of sharks and Cody's right. trying to kill James Bond. And James Bond all of a sudden has this, like, buzzsaw on his watch that he's <laughs> not, like, he's maybe had need for several times, but he's never used and then finally uses it and escapes, like, immediately. Um, God, what, is, what is the Austin Powers thing? She pulls out dental floss. And he's and he thinks it's because of his teeth are so bad, but it, like they use the dental floss to like as like basically like a whip to like throw around and like swing using the dental floss like away from the shark. Listen, I'm gonna admit to something. Yeah, I um I haven't seen Austin Powers since it was in the theaters. Damn. Like I don't think I've ever seen Austin Powers again since mm-hmm. then. I have like you you know what I remember from Austin Powers. Like, it's literally the only thing I ever quote from that movie because it's the one thing that I remember from it. Which one? You know what it is? No, I can't remember. Who who, who does number two work for? Mm -hmm. You show that turd who's boss? Right, yes. Yeah, that's true. That is a you do do quote that um, enough. So, yeah. Yeah, the the first one still holds up to this day. I haven't, it wasn't long ago that I watched it. The, um, The other ones, meh. I like to, I think, initially and anymore. It's like the, I would watch them again. But, I mean, you know how I feel about comedy. Yeah, in general, yeah. So, yeah. It's like, not that I dislike those movies, because I remember liking the first two Austin Powers quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But it's like, if you ask me to pick a movie out, that's not, like, where I'm going. Sure. To find a movie, so. I hear you. So, our good friend Dave Kerr um, says that, about this movie, Roger Moore in the, his first time out in the part made a sexless and vaguely smarmy James Bond. But by this point, the Bond series seemed to be losing its inspiration anyway. Guy Hamilton's direction lacks enthusiasm and pace, while even the art direction, long the Bond film's real secret weapon, seems to have fallen to a shrunken budget. Not much fun. <laughs> it's interesting because, like, it's definitely the least interesting set design for the most part. <clears throat> and it feels like, like this is a dude that's playing like 
whatever that card game is in Monaco and wooing like rich, beautiful women. And like here he is, like number one that that scene when he's in Harlem is like something out of um, across 110th Street. Or something. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Like he's in this like bombed out like ghetto alleyway. I, it's it's really like disconcerting, especially because I don't remember any of the first part of that movie at all. Like that was almost like watching a new movie for me. Yeah, um, I had forgotten completely about that part, and it's like, oh, it's just so weird. And then like the stuff in New Orleans too is very like it doesn't even take advantage of like New Orleans as a city. I mean, aside from like what honestly is one of the best film scenes in the movie to me, which is um the funeral procession at the beginning when they uh. They kill the one agent and then put him in the coffin and carry him off. <clears throat> like that's, I mean, just from like its composition and like I don't know the color of it and everything, the sound. I think that's like a pretty decent scene. But like I don't remember any of that. But you know they don't really take advantage of any of the settings, um, aside from like it looking pretty in the jungle a little bit. And, yeah, I don't know. I don't think we need to talk about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, I this went much longer than what right, I right. Um, for a movie that probably like doesn't deserve even half of that conversation yeah although Unless you're did, talking about like how problematic it is and i and don't it, know it, look at this movie besides that there's so many other movies that are more problematic i would i would call this low-key problematic with that quasi rape scene being really problematic yeah um but everything else well, is kind of like twice. this no, because yeah. he, he basically he rapes um that's true it's Rosie too right because she's like you know what cool but I'm sleeping here by myself right and bon, then she's bon, like, oh my bon. god hold me yeah bon, Bond doesn't like if you actually go back and think about it it's like there consent is not a word in Bond's vocabulary right like Bond there there is no, there's never any consent. Like certainly, there's never, also, I don't. I never, certainly, I don't think there's ever verbal consent in a James Bond movie that I can remember off the top of my head. Well, you assume that there was consent from the Italian chick in the first part because, yeah, they were like in bed together, and then she stayed around, and well, who knows? Well, how, right, how well, right, yeah, I don't I think the things we learn anymore. I don't know if that's necessarily consent. We'll right. assume we'll assume that there was yes. Um, so anyway, so very high on my nostalgia list in terms of movies I loved as a kid and very low on my list of like modern like watching experiences but it was funny right okay so number four on your list is 1960 version of Swiss Family Robinson it is star uh, sorry it was directed by Ken Anakin it stars John Mills Dorothy McGuire James McArthur Janet Monroe, Tommy Kirk, and Kevin Corcoran. It has an 82% from critics, a 78% from Rotten Tomatoes audience of members. Um, can you tell just a bit about Swiss Family Robinson in general and why it is number four on the list? Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know. I, maybe I shouldn't even assume those things anymore. You should not. That's, That's why like, I asked you to explain know. what a, I wanted you to explain what a Viewmaster was because you can't assume those things. Right. Anymore. Uh, Swiss Family Robinson is a classic. Is it Hans? Not Hans Christian Anderson. Who wrote Swiss Family Robinson? Oh, damn it. Anyway, it, it's a classic novel from, I guess, like... Early 1800s. Like 1808 late, or something. Yeah. 
um, about a family that survives a shipwreck and gets stranded on this deserted island. Um, they end up building a home there and kind of, again, this British family. Are they British or are they Australian? Anyway, they're this family who's like stiff upper lip and they conquer, you know, whatever the perils of the island through their own ingenuity and they run afoul of pirates and they beat the pirates and anyway. <clears throat> it's um it's a classic, like stranded on a desert island story. This and uh Robinson Crusoe probably the two best examples of like man against nature on a deserted island but this is much more yeah, this novel is from 18 it's 1812 i was i was off a little bit and it's johan david weiss mm. um so the reason i love this movie and again this is another movie from my like my childhood that i loved um is just because the set design on this movie is friggin' amazing like the tree yep. the tree house that they build with like all the different levels and the stairs that can be retracted and like the pulley systems and the skylights and just all these things they do and all the ways that they like set up to like defend their home and stuff. It's just all, um, it's all really cool, like looking and it really like captivated my imagination, like a huge amount as a kid to the point where like I would draw like really intricate, like treehouse designs all the time for years just because of this movie. Sure. Um, you know, I mean, again, like there's stuff with the pirates that's like racially insensitive. There's stuff with the natives that's racially insensitive. There's stuff with women that's like insensitive from a gender perspective because it's a 1960 movie based on an 1800s book. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's beautiful. Like the cinematography is amazing. Like the island looks fantastic. <clears throat> the stuff, um, one of my favorite parts is pretty early on in the movie um, where they're, like, escaping from the boat and they're, like, fascinating, like, fashioning rafts and kind of, like, trying to avoid the breakers and stuff. And it's just, I don't know, it's, it's an amazing-looking movie. Um, one of the most obnoxious film characters ever, I think, in The Youngest the Son, youngest son who's yep. literally, like, the most obnoxious and possibly stupidest like just willfully obtuse to the fact that he can die and it's yeah. supposed to be like cute and charming but it's just like dude no, like just, just let that kid die just let him go right so like um, look I, I i decided to ignore just like you pointed out i decided pretty much ignore everything that's problematic in this because of when this was originally done and then when it was made and stuff like that um if I find anything problematic, it's like the enslavement of the animals right. by this young little privileged asshole the fact <laughs> who, that, who right. just wants to collect these animals and then like make them do work for him and be entertainment for him. And it's bothered me more than anything in this movie. Right. Always causing near mortal danger to the rest of his family because of his insatiable desire to have like a fucking elephant. Right. Right. Basically. Or like He's what? What is, what is it? Ostriches or something like that? Where he's yeah. like tied to him and they're dragging him across the ground, and it's like, good, just let him go. And like everyone has to save him because like it's my ostrich, it's my ostrich. <laughs> um, but if you watch it like for any reason, and it's it's free on Disney, well not free, it's it's on Disney Plus if you subscribe to Disney. 
um, I would say just fast forward like through most of it and just watch like the treehouse sequences because those sequences are are still super impressive to look at, and just like the engineering and ingenuity of like the Disney set designers at the time to create like these really beautiful and and it inspires. Um, I don't know if that's still there in Disney World because it's been friggin' thirty years since I've been to Disney World, but um, they, they used to have the Swiss Family Robinson treehouses that you could walk through that I always thought was like amazing. Yeah, I'm trying to think when we were there like four or five years ago, uh, the only time I've ever been, I don't think we went up into those, um, but I'm pretty sure they're still there. It, when I I, so. my, my recollection of it was it was kind of right past the Pirates of the Caribbean part. Like there was the pirate uh, town area and then like you went down a little bit and like off to the left there was the... Um, yes, yeah. The, the big like... Uh, tiki totems or whatever that like talked and made music and stuff and then you could go no, down. never mind we, we we did go up like I, I completely forgot about this yeah you're right it's in um what is that is that magic kingdom yeah i think so yeah, yeah. magic Kingdom. yeah um well, when yeah, i went I, there epcot was like like three months old i think so right but yeah no you're right it's it, it is near there um where where, where all that is I, I completely forgot about that i was actually thinking about animal kingdom but um that's something different. Yeah, like they, you're right. That's that's where those things are. Like for the Swiss Family Robinson stuff. I can't believe I remember that. Yeah, it's been like I don't know a million years since I've like been to that place. But had you seen the movie by that point? Do you know? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm okay. sure. Yeah, I, I. So we we've talked about this a little bit, but I was thinking about this today. I was talking to my son about it. I was able to watch like three to four movies every single Saturday because my parents didn't watch TV on Saturdays. Cause you know, when we were kids, nothing was on on Saturdays except for <clears throat> cartoons and then like old movies. Yeah. So they would do their other stuff, like go play pinochle with their friends or do things around the house or in the yard. And I could just sit in front of the TV and play with my GI Joes and star Wars and watch movies. Mm-hmm. So I probably watched like, I mean, seriously probably watched like five movies a week. Like, just because of Saturday. And one sure. of the things that they used to have on was, um, I think it was called the Disney Afternoon, maybe, or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was. But um, after the horror movie and the kung fu movie in the morning, you could switch to other channels. <clears throat> and there was other things that were on, like um, sci-fi movies or, you mm-hmm. know, uh, like heavily edited, like teen comedies and stuff like that. So I would always watch that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same here. So, Swiss Family Robinson, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, um, Robinson Crusoe, uh, stuff like The Black Hole, like all this shit, like I watched as a kid, just, you know, on our four channels. Actually, at that point, we had cable, so there was other other ways I could watch it, too. But <clears throat> as I got a little older, like into my like elementary school years, and we moved up here, we only had the four or five channels that you got through the antenna and that stuff was always on on the weekends yeah there was a disney movie on sunday nights too if i'm not mistaken that's correct and a lot of times they were like made not made for tv but they were like non-theatrical release yeah abc abc had a sunday night disney movie yeah so we used to watch i used to watch them every week too so it's entirely possible i saw it there right but oh yeah i'd seen it probably a couple times and i read the book too i think before i went to disney world so i Besides, you're exactly right. I think that I think this movie looks really good for 1960. Like today, right. it looks still looks really good. Um, 
I was actually really surprised by how good, and part of that's probably the transfer, I'm assuming, too, and stuff. But, I mean, it holds up and looks really nice. Um, yeah, that back color is amazing. Yes. Um, and I actually thought, like, the first, like, 15, 20 minutes of that movie is really engaging, like, as a set piece, like, when they're on the ship and trying to get yeah. off and all those kind of things. That's and then it just kind of slowly goes downhill from there. Right. Um, from an standpoint that's my favorite part of the movie or it was my favorite part of the movie now mm-hmm. watching it like that sense of danger and like the you know and they have to go back and like chase the pirates off like all that stuff is sure really, yep mm-hmm. and then really, getting the animals and tying them up and like you know all that kind of stuff and yeah that stuff's all pretty brilliant and then it, it's it number one it's way too long like that movie's probably yeah. right. 40 longer than it needs to be um and it's just not that interesting after that, yeah, I guess. I, I saw one reviewer, um, I'm pretty sure it was um, Josh Larson, who has his own website that's kind of popular, which I think is Larson on film, uh, say that the movie itself kind of acts like a theme park ride, that it basically goes yeah. from kind of like sequence to sequence, like, you know, here's this adventure, here's this little adventure, here's this little adventure, and that all of it kind of just goes, uh, each of those adventures just goes on too long. Right, that's true. And I, and I think that's a pretty good way of like summarizing some of the problems with this in terms of a pacing standpoint and a narrative standpoint. Um, but it is a... The, the, the elements of the theme park ride for each of those things is overall well executed. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that this is a, a, a kid's movie, you know, at the time. Like, mm-hmm. a kid's movie would never be made like this today. Like, or if it was, no one would ever watch it. So... I don't know, I guess they felt that children had longer attention spans and more tolerance just for, like, pretty images projected on screen Yeah, in the 60s. But, yeah, so, I mean, I didn't – again, this was a movie, like, I watched it, and I would tell Frankie, like, oh, my God, I used to love this part when I was a kid. But I wasn't super, you know, <clears throat> super into it as an adult. Like, I wasn't, like, exhilarated at the end of this movie. I was just kind of glad that I had gotten through it. <laughs> yeah and and i i felt similarly although i i maybe i even enjoyed it a little bit more than you did just because i think i saw this once when i was like six and i was actually more impressed by like i said the visuals of it and stuff like that and i actually want to i actually want to bring the the visuals up in this movie later with another movie that you're going to talk yeah. about but i actually have a rebut or a rebuke whatever rebuke i have i have a argument to refute your argument or whatever. are you already predicting what my argument is are you already thinking ahead you know what it is yeah let's go into number three and then when we get to number one we'll talk about your argument mm-hmm. oh, good job yeah you're right yeah all right this would be interesting all right so have i did i did i like drunkenly tell you that argument that i have already no I oh, okay quite- I was watching the number one movie in my mind. I was comparing it to this movie. Okay, this all right. The number one movie was filmed three three years later. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you got the argument. Yeah. Yeah. So I, but I was thinking about it, and I think I know why. Okay. All right. Anyway. Okay. Gotcha. Um. All right. So number three on your list is the island from 1980. It is directed by Michael Ritchie. It was written by Peter Benchley. Um, famed author, and then it stars Michael Caine, David Warner, Angela Punch, McGregor. It has a 40% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 51% from audiences. Huh. You want to tell us a little bit about this, like, 
uh, to me, completely unknown movie. I'd never heard of this movie before. Um, so do you want to tell them a little bit about what this is about? Um, coherently, tell them what it's about, and then tell us why it's number three on your list. So this was a movie I rented as like a 11 or 12-year-old, maybe, um, because I thought the cover was really cool. Uh, the cover is a hand, like, punching out of the water, holding a um, combat knife with, like, a tropical island in the background. Um, that feels misleading probably, to me. I think I probably thought it was going to be a slasher movie. Uh-huh. Maybe. Um, so Michael Caine is a divorced uh, journalist. Um, Korean war vet too, which comes into play later. Um, who's trying to bond with his alienated son. Um, so he's going to investigate disappearances in the Bermuda triangle in Florida and takes his son with him as like a, Hey, like this will be a fun vacation, you know, like going to Florida, we'll see some tropical places buys his son a pistol like just for no reason i guess just to be like the cool dad um because his son is an excellent marksman um goes to (laughs) charters a plane to an island Mm -hmm. that crash lands and explodes did you mention that he was promising his son that he's going to take him to disney and then tricks him onto this plane you're right sorry i forgot that yeah i mean he's 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 not the best dad Right. Um, and I'll just like to stoke his own ego because he wants to be better than the mom where the son actually wants to go, where the grandfather, where the son would rather go. But he wants to be like, hey, like, why can't you hang out with me? Instead of just letting his kid be happy somewhere. Um, so he meets, he goes to this island. It's not Haiti, is it? It's some island in the Caribbean. Goes to the island, meets this doctor who's like an expert on the local area and the Bermuda Triangle and flora and fauna. Um, oh, there's also, there's so much that happens in this fucking movie. There's also like a prologue to this where people are murdered on pleasure boats by bedraggled homeless looking pirates and like slaughtered in really violent and graphic ways. And possibly one young girl is abducted, which you find out later that she was abducted, and then it doesn't even matter. Um, so they're on their boat fishing for Barracuda, and the boy dives in to rescue the girl from the previous boat who's in the water, and then a man climbs on the boat who Michael Caine kills, but as he's killing the man, he gets knocked out, and then they get captured. And then David Warner brainwashes the son into thinking that he's this prophesized pirate leader. And the son goes along with it. And Michael Caine is turned into a sex slave by a really dirty lady who just wants him to impregnate her, but eventually falls in love with him. Even though he keeps trying to escape, and keeps getting her beat up by the other pirates. And he has the worst escapes too. Like, He's not wearing any shoes, and he's running on, like, these rocky beaches. It's, it's awful. It's not awful. It's really funny. But it's, like, really, like, it, it's awful from the perspective that, you know, like, what is this dude doing? Like, just stop. Like, you're not getting right. away. Right. And you keep getting this poor lady, like, you know, beaten. Right. So, um, the kid's, like, completely turned on him. But also the kid won't kill him, so you can still see, like, the familial connection, even though the kid's, like, 
<clears throat> pretty firmly in the camp of David Warner, who's honestly like a much cooler father figure. Um, Michael Caine escapes. They're searching the island for him. While he's gone, or while he escaped, he burns down their village, and that's like, like arouses the curiosity of like a navy ship, who sends a group of sailors or like seamen, I guess, to the island, who get murdered by the pirates because the pirates are like so much better at combat than these trained, like, military professionals. Uh-huh. And the pirates take one boat to the giant like battleship and kill all the navy men and take over the ship and then michael kane gets on the ship and guns everyone down with i don't know like a like roadblock style roadblock from gi joe style like mounted right. machine gun yeah it's like a mounted machine gun like rambo uses and stuff yeah like that. except for david warner who he kills with a flare gun after a game of cat and mouse and then his kid is like, Dad, I don't want to be a pirate anymore. And my kid is like, you're damn right. And then the Navy comes and rescues him. And that's the movie. Yeah. That's, pretty good job. that's, a, pretty good, that's a pretty good job. Um, because that movie is all over the fucking place. Oh, there's this amazing... Like my, my favorite sequence in the whole movie is the pirates see a schooner. Like, there's all these boats, like, sailing close to their, like, little deserted island that apparently no one knows about ever. So they take their commandeered speedboats and attack this schooner and board it and kill everyone on board, except there's this amazing sequence where this John Travolta lookalike in short shorts karate fights all the pirates. Yeah, he's doing, like, a Bruce Lee impersonation. And then gets like stabbed to death and thrown overboard and the music they play when the pirate is like the most rousing like encouraging like yeah but they're the bad guys like right. it's like it's the music that should be playing like when the good guys are doing something but it's like and the pirates like like stabbing people and it's really confusing to watch that sequence and it happens again when they attack the naval ship they play the same song yeah, which that's Ennio Morricone that does the yeah. score for that. Yeah. So it's almost it's almost like a parody of a pirate movie, but it's not. It's like like Goonies or something kind of like it. It feels like they're sort of like I, but it's not at all. Like it's completely played like straight. And some of the things that happen, like the torture and shit that happens, is pretty horrific. And like a lot of people die. Like they kill like a whole lot of people. And you know what? They don't even say if Michael Caine ever goes back and gets the woman who clearly is in love with him and like sacrifices her bond with the pirates to save him like twice. Right. He probably didn't. He probably just left. She probably right. like starved to death on that island, <laughs> or like had to eat their corpses or something to right. live. And why don't she? She never even had her baby. So what? Yeah, did you so the island. Right. yeah. So that's uh, that's. So what? What did you? What do you like about the island? So when I first saw The Island again, I had no idea like what that movie... I had no idea what would, what was going to happen. And I really thought it was going to be like a serial killer movie like set on some like deserted island. And the beginning of the movie kind of gives you that impression because of like... You know, I mean, those are pretty graphic deaths in the first like 15 minutes. Like the two boats that get taken over and the people get murdered or whatever. And I I don't know. Like I had no idea that it would be what it was. And I think I was just really kind of mesmerized by how weird 
like the whole thing was and um i re- i remembered it like it never there's never really an opportunity to talk about it it's just one of those like weird movies that you kind of have like a like a hazy memory of where like you remember some weird stuff and you're like no nah, there's no way that that's actually what happened in that movie and then in this case it's true like all those things have happened um so when we were talking about the tropical movies like i thought about it pretty quickly it was one of this one and the next one were the first two that i thought of like yeah they have to go on the list um but i don't know it's just it's a lot of fun it's got some really funny moments it's got some really good tension um warner and kane are both really good in it uh, the woman that plays the i mean love interest is a weird way to put it but i guess the love interest Angela, like pretty, pa- Angela, Angela Punch McGregor. Yeah, she's pretty good. Um, the kids in it are pretty good. Like the Weasley kid that just wants to get rid of David right. or um, Michael Caine's son because he was supposed to be the chosen one until Michael Caine's son could shoot better than him. Right. What do they call him? Like the. I can't remember the. Yeah, the. Like the. Uh, it's just some weird name and like you just have to accept it immediately. Like. There's no explanation for like, yeah, that's what I am. And it's like, okay, I'm like, cool. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really fun movie. I think it's relatively unknown, I would say. Yeah. Like as unknown as anything can be in this day and age, but it's not something that you really see talked about. And I guess judging by critical and viewer reception, I guess there's a reason for that. But I, I don't know how you like, don't just have fun watching this movie when you watch it. Like I, I, I had a blast and then Frankie was really into it too. And like, we were laughing really hard. At a few of the parts, so. And how many pirate movies do you have? You know, and this is like a sure. modern take on pirates. That's both like comical, but also kind of like creepy and probably, well, they're probably not realistic at all. But I don't know. It's almost yeah. like post-apocalyptic in like a lot of it. Right. Like their language and stuff is kind of similar to like the, like Barter Town language from, mm-hmm. um, Road Warrior Three and. Like they live in like these shanties, and it's just like mud and shit, and nobody knows like what anything is because they just have scavenged stuff, but they have no like point of reference for you know what a flare gun is or what a flashlight is, or <clears throat> they're still using like locking key mechanisms from like the eighteen hundreds that are easily bypassed by you know friggin' MacGyver, Bond, Michael Caine. Who is like completely nonplussed that entire movie? Like that dude, even like when his son is betraying him, like he's never upset. Right. He's just like he's just like, oh, time to it's, escape again. Yeah, it's the most like stiff upper lip British reaction right. to this insane circumstance that like right. I've ever just seen. Completely taciturn, just like eh, fine. <laughs> right. Yeah. It actually, it's it's interesting because in a lot of ways. It reminds me of it, there's several things about this movie um, that kind of remind me of Dead Calm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, like the nautical aspect of it, but just like some of the stuff, like um, who's that? Sam Neill in Dead, Dead Calm. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Like the way that he, like he's stuck on this sinking boat, but he's just like, "Fuck it, I'm just gonna like survive," and he just makes make sure that he like fixes the boat and is able to like sail it or whatever and michael kane's the same way it's like all right cool i'm captured but fucking i'm just gonna survive so i don't know i i really enjoyed it it was a lot of fun to watch so yes i 
It was the I most fun I had of any movie on this list. Like, I, uh, absolutely agreed. Um, when I first started watching this, like, I, I didn't know anything about it. I had never heard of it before. So I was really interested to just, like, watch it without reading anything about it and just see what the hell was going on. And when um, Zaka Smokai shows up early on in the movie, um, the, uh, uh, what's it from, you know who I'm talking about, from um, Serpent in the Rainbow, uh-huh. um, as the police officer. Right. On the island, uh, uh, the, or the island that was, you know, close by. The other island. The, right, the other island. Uh, so when all that started, it's like, I thought like, oh, it's going to be, honestly, I thought it was going to be this kind of like, almost like, racist thing where it was like this this uh, these people on this island were the ones that were the pirates and you know and they were right. and like he was and he was in on it and all this other stuff like and um he was eventually going to be revealed in league with them and so i didn't know where it was going and then it won then when it's like when you find like this these grown men acting like assholes on this other island with this whole like, community that has been built up for like hundreds of years and they don't even speak like a like proper English anymore. It's like this combination language. I was like, I have no idea what's going on right. in this movie. And I was just and I just let it unfold and had a couple of drinks and I thought it was really fun. It is ridiculous. It's absurd. But I think as a child of the eighties primarily like it reminded me of the kind of schlock that I would see back then and just thought oh, yeah. it was fun and having never, so it was almost like, you know, I, I think I've said it on here at some point before, but it's like, I say it, I've said it a lot in my life is that I wish I could go back for the first time and erase my memory and watch so many movies for the first time ever again. Yeah. And this acted as some sort of weird, um, facsimile of like being able to watch a movie like for the first time again even though obviously this movie isn't as good as others that i would like to watch again sure but it's very enjoyable experience i thought overall i i think there's unless you're like super offended by violence or whatever i think there's very few people that would not at least have like some modicum of a good time like just sitting there and just watching the ridiculousness of this movie. Cause even like, cause I explained a lot of the movie, like you can't understand how crazy it is right. when you see some of this stuff happen. Yeah. Like, like, like I think it is like Kane having the one line that he was a vet of the Korean war early on as this, you know, Chekhov's gun type thing to right. explain how he becomes like basically the equivalent of Rambo at yeah, the this end movie. of this movie is <laughs> so you say Rambo, I say he's more John McClane than Rambo. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just saying Rambo because right. of the gun thing, like you know. Yeah. But yeah, oh well, right. No, I mean it's like yeah, it's like this really long scene in this gun shop. I mean, what is that scene like? Seven seven minutes maybe, where it's like setting up the fact that the kid likes guns, the kid knows how to shoot a gun, but Michael Caine is also a really good shot, and he's like, oh. I served in Korea. Right. Right. So he can buy him a pistol, basically. Mm -hmm. So he can shoot the pirate, which gets him captured, and gets him wed to the woman so he can impregnate her because he killed her man. So very uh, don't you think that they don't you think they wrote like pretty much everything like from the island up, whoever wrote it, and like then like went back and added some scenes in 
getting to the island in order to start being able to make some sense of trying to make some sense of what happens. So I want to talk about this idea a little more in the next movie, but Mm -hmm. yeah, like this probably was like, well, I mean, eventually had already written the book, so it was. I never, I I never have and never will read the book. So it's like, I'll never know how close it is or not, but I mean. But it feels like something where like, you know, he was sitting there like, man, I want to write this modern day pirate story. Yeah. And like, he writes all these scenes. He's like, fuck, how do I get to this? (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. That's definitely what it feels like. But it was a very fun movie. It was a fun, fun time. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, in terms of criticism, you have addressed pretty much everything that I have read in terms of criticism about this movie. And I'm assuming the idea being you acknowledge it and you still think it's fun. Or fun because of those things, maybe even. Like, yeah, I mean, like, the movie doesn't have to be like a classic of cinema to be enjoyable. So. Right. Okay, so number two on your list is 1954's Creature in the Black Lagoon. It's directed by Jack Arnold. It stars Richard Carlson, Julie Adams, Richard Denning. It has an 85% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, a 73% from audiences. I'm going to tell people a little bit about the movie and what you like about it so much. Uh, so, I mean, it's pretty much the Beauty and the Beast story without, like, the transformation at the end. Um archaeological team in South America discovers a fossilized um, webbed hand in like whatever, like an archaeological dig. <clears throat> so a team is sent down to investigate. Um, it turns out that there's still like this living like relic of the prehistoric times and this, the gill man, whatever the creature from the black lagoon. Um, he becomes obsessed like with uh, the beautiful, woman that's on board the ship um there's all this stuff where they kind of like antagonize him and he kills them so they view him as a threat um basically like the end is that man shoots him and he sinks back into the depths and you know whatever like it's a very cookie cutter story in the sense of like what's the cost of like disturbing nature like you know, shouldn't you leave, like, some things alone? How close is the link between animal and man? I mean, that's, you know, kind of like a, like a riff on sort of the story of, like, what King Kong is, although, like, we, we discussed this offline last night, King Kong is a little more problematic in some ways, but, you know, it's just a basic, like, horror movie, but it's really well done, um, beautifully filmed, uh, my, probably next to Godzilla, my favorite creature design of like pre pre pre-modern horror Mm -hmm. like godzilla and the and the gill man are like in my opinion the two most brilliant like designs um ever in terms of like that era maybe some harry house and stuff um but there's like especially um it's got some amazing underwater photography um it's it's weird because so as some like history to this movie, um, the guy that wrote this, the guy that produced it and wrote it, I can't remember his name, had been trying to write this movie for like a decade, basically. Like he had wanted to make some monster from the water who's vaguely humanoid or has like some connection to like humans, like for a long time, and it was greenlit because. Um, they filmed it in 3D. So this was like 
I think, what is this, 53, right, is this 50, movie? 54. So this was like, 3D was starting to wane in the theaters, but this was kind of like their Universal's attempt to reinvigorate it. Um, and it was really popular, like it made a lot of money and people were really into it. Um, pretty like well-received critically, too. Um, so this kind of like sparked like a small resurgence in 3D. Um, I originally saw this movie in 3D through a promotion with 7-Eleven where you got um, free glasses, like with a Slurpee. Right. And then the movie was aired on like ABC or something on Saturday night. And you could put your glasses on and they did the... So originally the movie was done in like the grayscale 3D. Um, but when I saw it, it was in the blue and red. I can't remember what that style of 3D is called, but that kind of 3D. Um, again, like the underwater photography is amazing in it. Um, the fact that they basically made this dude wear a latex suit with no scuba gear. So whenever you see the Gill Man underwater, that actor is just a guy that could hold his breath for like four or five minutes. And they made him film all those scenes in that suit with like no breathing apparatus on. Yeah. Um, different actor out of the water too. It's like a different suit and everything like the out of the water stuff. Right. Um, but just a really iconic character. And apparently a really like the suit very poorly made in terms of like for the out of water stuff, the guy like in terms of like being oh, hot, like heat. right. Like heat exhaustion. Yeah. Uh -huh. Um, and it's interesting because, and I didn't learn this until like much later, but, um, possibly the first, almost, almost certainly the first creature designed by a woman. Hmm. Um, so there was a lady that worked at Universal, and I feel bad that I can't remember her name, um, but she designed the original character. Like, she did all the sketches, and the model maker that made the costume took all the credit for it, but it was found out later that she was responsible for it. So um, pretty pretty impressive, you know, like, design. Like, again, I think it's really iconic, <clears throat> the look of the Guild Man. Um, and it's Mil like, Her name is Millicent Patrick. Okay. It's just a beautiful movie. Like, it's really well filmed. Um, it's almost more of like a... Like a romance, really. Less of like a horror movie and more of... I don't know. Like, that was explored later by, you know, Del Tormo in... Uh, or Del Toro in uh, um, Shape of Water. Right. With like a de facto or like unofficial, you know, sort of like remake or ode to... Um, the creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm -hmm. So, and another one of those movies where, like, I saw this movie when I was probably four years old for the first time, and scared the shit out of me as a little kid. Like, I was always <laughs> like looking for the creature in like the pool or the bathtub. Um, <clears throat> one of my like in my memory, one of my first action figures I ever bought was the Remco um, three and three quarter inch creature from the Black Lagoon. I had that in Dracula and Frankenstein. Um, yeah, just I don't know. It's it, it still holds up. Like I thought, it was still enjoyable to watch now, and it's it's pretty brief. It's like eighty minutes, I think. Yeah, it's not very uh, long. And it has like a lot of the tropes that whatever, like any movie that takes place in like a jungle environment has. Where, but I mean, like it's like the creature kills a lot of those dudes too. So I'm like, it's not just like the white man coming in and you know, like exercising his manifest destiny or whatever over nature <clears throat> like nature definitely has the upper hand in those situations but 
Oh, yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I just really yeah. I think the people that are a fan of like classic horror, like everyone has seen Creature from the Black Lagoon, but yeah. and the environment is really beautiful too. Like the lagoon itself, um, the design of it and everything is just really it's it's amazing. Like it looks really nice. I so like for being black and white, it's so evocative, like all that underwater cinematography is just so good. So so yeah. Oh, I got some feedback here. Okay, it's over. All right. So I um I I I get this was revolutionary at the time. I I had seen I guess probably all of it at some point or another by watching it at different points and catching it here and there on television at different points when I was young. Um I th- yeah, and I know you really like this. I, I just don't think it. I, I just didn't felt like it held up like as as like a an enjoy, an enjoyable watching experience necessarily in twenty twenty. Only yeah. because I've seen so much since then that it's like it becomes this. It just kind of becomes the tropes to me in some ways, and I didn't think it was filmed in it quite. I think it'd be really good for a film class. And I and, and and this is going to sound backhanded, even though it's like I'm saying that, but it's like I think that you can see through the shots and stuff like that, like the manipulation taking place in front of you because it's so old now. I, I think you can see as and film has advanced more since then, like in like cinematography and composition and all these things have advanced. I think you can kind of see it happening in front of you the way that they like frame things. Right. That it would be really good to be able you could talk over it while showing sequences and kind of just talk about it in real time and show like what the intended effect is. Um, so I think it was, I, I think for the time period, like I think it's extremely well done. I think watching it now is just kind of like, I just kind of sat here and I was like, it was like, right. Yeah. So let me say this about it. Like, I think that all of the universal monster movies have been overshadowed by things that have come after that have examined the same themes and the same like mythology Mm -hmm. and done it in a much more visually interesting and with a better narrative. You know, I mean, it's like, I think there's a very specific aesthetic to these movies that you either enjoy them and appreciate them, or they're just not going to do it for you. Mm -hmm. Like, I hate to say it like that because I think that, like, great movies can always be great movies. But, I mean, in these cases, like, it's very, it's very staged. It's very stiff. It's very basic. You know, I mean, as much as people, like, sort of almost fetishize, like, Boris Karloff and Lon Chaney Jr. and Bela Lugosi, you know, for Dracula and Frankenstein and whatever, like, The Wolfman and stuff. Like, none of those movies have the same impact today as they would have had then. Yeah. You know, and there's plenty of like Dracula and Frankenstein and Wolfman and not as many like aquatic monster movies, which is maybe one of the reasons why like I love it so much. Mm-hmm. But um I don't know. Like I, I understand your point. I just think that like there's something about it that to me like supersedes that and like is still really attractive to me. Yeah, so it's like I, I've mentioned here that I've been watching like a lot of horror movies um, in the past few months, and what's fascinating to me is that so many of them still rely on some of the tropes from 1954, 
so there's a sequence pretty early on i guess maybe it's the first time the monsters actually kind of like really introduced like among the main characters anyway where she is um she has to stand outside the tent away from everybody because she's I guess because she's a fucking woman. Like, so it's like, oh, stay over there. Um, don't come over here while the men are talking. And she's over there by herself. And, like, you get the shot of, like, basically, like, her, um, uh, her, like, ankles and, like, you know, like, calves, like, and it's, like, up to her knee. And you see the hand come out of the water and slowly kind of, like, reaching up to, like, grab her. And then they call her over, and you just see her legs, like, move, all, like, to the left, right. like, off, off screen. And, like, the hand slowly recedes back again. I swear I watched, like, two horror movies in the past three months that, well, it wasn't a merman, but it's, like, um, it was still, like, some sort of ghost or something or, like, some kind of specter, oh, sure. like, reaching its hand out of the shadows slowly in the same damn way or under a bed or something and then coming back again as the person moves out of the way. And it's, like, I don't even think it's – I mean, I, I'm sure somebody would probably say it's, like, an homage or something like that. But at the same time, it's just the same damn trope. It's, like, so people are still uh, kind of, like, ripping off this movie to this day. Right. And it, it's, it was pretty impressive at the time because they're, aside from stuff like like the other Universal movies, you don't really have much where the creatures are shown. You know, like, a lot of times, like, creatures were shown in shadow or just, mm-hmm. like, a portion of them. And in this movie, like, it, you get really, like, the majority of the time that the Gill Man is on screen, you're seeing, like, full body shots of him, which is impressive. So. And they're probably, you know, there is a lot of stuff that, things that were done then that are but i would argue that shit like what you just mentioned was done in like nosferatu and vampire as well so it's not like it's original original there yeah like 1953 right um but i don't know like again like i'm i'm a very big mark for universal horror like those characters and those movies are very like dear to me um for my like i because i used to read fangora um and creepy and whatever it was castle of frankenstein or whatever like i was like fixated on horror movies as a kid so i was like in love with all that shit yeah but yeah i don't know i think either you like it or you don't and i think that at this point in people's lives you probably know if you like it or you don't but if you've never seen any i think that this is the one that i would say that you absolutely should watch oh i definitely think people should watch it just like i said i mean just if you're if you like film like i make sure to watch it i mean just so you know it but um all right so number one on your list is the 1963 version of lord of the flies is directed by peter brooke it stars james aubrey tom chapin you Edwards and Roger Elwin. It has a 91% from critics, a 63% from audiences. So you want to tell us a little bit about Lord of the Flies, this adaptation specifically, why it's number one on your list, and you can also try to work in there your prediction of my question um, and answer to that. Cool. Um, so it's a pretty faithful film adaptation of William Golding's uh, novel the same, of the same name about a group of uh, 30 British boys, private school students who during some unnamed war are stranded on a deserted island and basically form initially the 
um, whatever, I guess, like, the, uh, I can't think of a good word for it, like, the bare-bones format of, like, a government, but then lose it to, like, savagery, <clears throat> like, a, like pretty quickly, um, including, like, the death of a couple of the boys, and um, I think probably most people are familiar with Lord of the Flies and, like, what the story entails. Um, Brooke shot this movie with all amateur actors. Like, none of the kids in this movie were professionals. Um, probably, like, horrifying in this day and age, but he basically, like, just convinced a bunch of parents to let him take their their kids yeah. to South America for a summer. And basically, they're, like, a lot of it was improvised. Like, a lot of your, the dialogue in it is um, improvised by the boys with just, like, a bare-bones idea of, like, what the story was. Like, the kids didn't really know the story beforehand. Um, some of the best scenes in the movie, like, the reactions from the kids are legitimate, like, fear and horror because he wouldn't tell them, like, what was going to happen. Um, it's really... It's a really beautiful movie um, and really evokes like a very tropical feel for being filmed in black and white. It's true. Um, like you almost forget that it's black and white sometimes. Um, but I think that number one, I think he was trying to avoid. So there's, I don't know if I would call it like uncomfortable, but there's a little too much like prepubescent nudity in this movie that I kind of like always forget about. Um, that's just sort of like, and I understand that like whatever, like they're boys and that's kind of like what would happen, but it's just weird to see it like on screen. Not, not that it's like fetishized or anything. Um, except maybe the scene where like the one kid's getting spanked, which is like really uncomfortable to watch. Um, but I think that like he wasn't trying to make it like a beautiful setting because I think he wanted to sort of focus on the idea of like the horror and the savagery of these kids. And he didn't want to like, um, juxtapose it against like the beauty of the environment like you didn't want that to be the thing that you focused on and I also think that it was probably like just super cheap to film where wherever they were somewhere in South America or on some island maybe Puerto Rico I can't remember where they filmed this movie um, but probably much cheaper to film on black and white film you know and like lightweight cameras as opposed to like the heavier stuff they would have needed for Technicolor. Um, You're right, Puerto Rico. It's an amazing adaptation of a novel that was really important to me when I was a kid. Um, I don't know how much I particularly care for Lord of the Flies anymore. Like, I still, like, think it's an important movie or important book. Um, and I think there's a lot of, like, concepts in it that really kind of, like, awakened my ability to like think in an abstract fashion and look for symbolism and mm -hmm. um i really like i read this book when i was um, 13 maybe <clears throat> um it was the first time that like i saw like like christian symbolism like christ symbolism in a book um the first time that i saw like like the idea of like man versus beast and like you know the bestial nature of man within Mm -hmm. So it's just a really like seminal novel, I think, in um, English literature, and it, it's a really great adaptation. Brooke had originally filmed, I think, something like some ridiculous. Like, I can't even like quote it because I don't know, 
but it was something like 40 or 60 hours of film. And the original cut of the movie was four hours long. And then he was forced to cut it like three times down to the, what's the running time? Like 93 minutes or something like that. Yeah. Um, so basically like 60, 60 hours of film. Yeah. There's like four, there's a four hour cut of this movie that existed that fleshed out. Yeah, it was shown at Con the four hour or no, much, no, a hundred hundred minute version. Hundred minute one, yeah. That it was the distributor, the American distributor, I think, that forced him to cut down to ninety three or ninety four or whatever. Um, but they fleshed much more of like the actual book out, like the stuff on the beach and the gradual because in, in the movie the the sea change from Ralph being the level headed leader of the group with the conch as the the focal point of like you know democracy and the shift to jack like stealing everybody is much more gradual in the book with like people defecting little by little sure and in the movie it basically happens over like a six minute montage right um there's a lot of stuff in the movie that i think is brilliant though like their um uh their use of a cure elysian or whatever um the um Oh, fuck, what does that translate to? It's like Greek for God. God help me or something like that, or God forgive me. It, that's what it is. It, anyway, like that's pretty cool. Like, and it's a really like clever use of a like a classic like religious hymn. Um, and the fact that it goes from being like this almost symbol of humanity when you first hear it when the choir's like walking up the beach to like a warlike like almost taunting like dirge kind of like later on when they're singing it as they're coming to kill Ralph and stuff like there's, I don't know, it's just really well done. And Brooke was mostly a theater director too. Like he only yeah. directed, I've only seen, I think like two or three movies he's done. Um, but you can tell that, you know, he just has a real feel for what makes the novel great. And he gets really good performances. The one scene that's really funny. So I guess like, 30 years later, all the surviving members of the boys um, met with Brooke. Like, he invited them all to some, like, meeting or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the kid that played Simon, like, was basically stabbed, like, in real life by these kids. Like, they basically pushed him out of the woods, and all the kids were reacting, like, naturally to him. Like, they were, like, basically frenzied and... you know, attacking him in real life, which is crazy. Jesus, so. that's yeah, that's crazy. But again, like you know, there's, hey, take my kid for the summer, and that's it. Like, and they have free reign, right? Like it was him and his production crew, and then thirty children between the ages of I think like six and fourteen. So yeah, um, he got really good performances out of these. Oh yeah, these kids. Ralph and Jack and Piggy mm-hmm. and Simon. And Sam and Eric are all really, really good. Like yeah. those are for not being actors. I mean, yeah, that's. I mean, and and nope. Like for kids that had no, not like foreknowledge of the book itself. Like those are like no perfect performances when you think about. Yeah. Like how you imagine those characters, or at least for me, how I imagine those characters in my mind. And I've read Lord of the Flies three times, maybe in my life. Mm-hmm. Um twice in high school and then once like I don't know, like 10 or 15 years ago just on a whim um to see if it's still held up um but yeah like it's a it's a great adaptation it's a classic i think of cinema um 
I think it's like inarguably the best movie on this list, just in terms of like not only its cultural impact but also its like artistic merit. So, so um, do you know what my criticism is of this, based on what we were talking about earlier, when you said that you could predict what my um, what I was going to say between this and Swiss Family Robinson. Uh, I think you don't like the fact that it's in black and white and that it's like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't understand why, like, I don't know. Where did you watch this at? Why? I own the Criterion. Do you? Okay. Um, I don't think I saw a Criterion rip of it. Um, where I, I it was, at, it's actually on YouTube. You can watch it for free. Um, it's on HBO Max. Uh, well, I don't have that yet. Um, oh, my bad. <laughs> Uh, there. right so i don't i don't have the uh i i didn't watch like uh, a couple weeks ago like the um and then i watched it before hbo max exists so um but it's but not on the criterion channel no I, I didn't see it on there no oh weird so i i, I didn't see a great copy but it, like it didn't i don't know how like that movie in 63, I'm assuming part of it might be budget or something. I think it's, it's not I, I, Disney, but it looks like shit compared to this Swiss Family Robinson to me, which is filmed three years earlier. So I legitimately think that there's two reasons for that. Like, again, I think it's a stylistic choice of the fact that, like, it's not meant to be beautiful. I, I, I don't, but I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about the general filmmaking of it, not not necessarily the, the scenery or why they're filming it in black and white or even that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, it, it's almost like a guerrilla film in a lot of ways. The way yeah. that you film, like you're talking about, like not having this tremendous budget. Like you're basically filming on. I mean, they they don't even really assemble any sets. Like in the books, there's like lean tos and shelters and stuff right. like that. I mean, he's basically just using, like, the natural whatever, like, landscape of wherever they were filming. And probably on really, like, inexpensive equipment. Like, they wouldn't have, you know, there's not a whole lot of tracking shots or dolly shots or no crane shots. I mean, most of it's, like, static. Yes. Like, filming, and I think that's probably the reason for it. I mean, I... I don't know for sure, but to me, I would imagine that that's why. Yeah, that's it's, it's interesting. I, I just thought it was that the quality was noticeably different, despite being made after Swiss Family Robinson. Yeah. Um, now, I do think the island looks good, and I, I'll be honest, like watching this, because um, I don't think I've ever seen this. Um, or I see parts of it, but not the whole thing. Um, because that's uh, I'll always say that kind of stuff. Because I've always seen parts of like most things, like you know, just flipping by channels. But um, but watching it, it's like Lost definitely took a lot of inspiration from the look of this. I think. Oh yeah. Like and just cut co- and just made a color. Uh, you know, just filmed in color. And it's like, but it, it it definitely took a lot of like a bit on the beach stuff. A lot of inspiration from the look of this movie. Like there is no question about it whatsoever. Yeah, like, I think that's definitely true. 
um, that they that they took a lot of this. Um, and, I, and I think there's other things. There's little things I noticed throughout. I didn't keep a list of them, but there's little things throughout that it's like, oh yeah, like they actually, like whoever like was like the kind of like there's multiple directors, but it's like whoever was you know, like, kind of, like, in charge of, like, you know, the overall look of the show definitely had watched this many times and, like, taken notes. Um, but, yeah, I thought the child acting was really good. I didn't think it looked great at all. I think it's a good adaptation of the story, and I think the actors do a pretty good job with it. I just didn't think it looked that great. But um, other than that, it's, it's, a, it's a good adaptation of the story. I agree with you. So, I kind of understand that criticism, but I think maybe if you would have seen a better transfer of the movie maybe like again the the criterion transfer is amazing like it's very crisp very nice like blacks and grays and like the color the not colors but like the oh what's the word i'm looking for the diffusion between like the grays and the blacks and the whites is like very clear so it you can see a lot more and i can see like if you saw like not a great copy of it or a grainy copy like it probably would look Probably very difficult to watch. Yeah. So the criticism of this, so the British Film Institute, um, uh, they used to put out like a month, what they called a monthly film bulletin um, for many years. And so this is coming directly from um, uh, BFI um, in their review of this. And they say that Lord of the Flies is perhaps the sort of novel that no one should attempt to film. The way that it works simultaneously on various levels of realism and poetry seems to depend too much on the quality of the writing itself. At least that is how one feels after seeing Brooks' extremely conscientious adaptation, which sticks so closely to the original that one is surprised to find it quite lacking in impetus or excitement. It is obvious that a 91-minute screenplay cannot possibly include the whole of the novel, that omissions are inevitable, although perhaps omissions... Um, in depth one wishes for instance for the performances that brooke has drawn from his inexperienced cast came a little closer to conveying the subtlety of the original characterizations but this is only the beginning of the trouble the fact that with that the situation reduced to its bare bones the symbolism applying as neatly as it ever did it seems almost pedantic in its simplicity Brooke has overstated what he has used. He has shot the film for a realistic look, and then, by means of editing, he has superimposed upon his own formal pattern, a pattern which might be best described in Christopher Fry's phrase, the frenzied ceremonial drumming of the humdrum. Too slow in the establishing shots and too flurried in the action shots, the direction, like the tediously repetitive score, raises a barrier between us and the subject. About the beast, for instance, Brooke is never object, never objective as Golding is in that long and beautiful passage when he describes the figure beneath the parachute sliding, quote, through the blue flowers over the boulders and red stones till it lay huddled among the shattered rocks of the mountaintop. I do but, agree with that. But then the written image is so very different from the filmed one. At least this film, at least this film, if it does nothing else, illustrates that point to perfection <clears throat> so this is a more of a um sounds to me like a criticism of the attempt to it seems sympathetic to some degree to me is the way i'm reading it like that it's like it would be near impossible to fit to do this um and then goes into explaining the problems with this of um you know uh, so it was that a contemporaneous review or is that bfi it was no it was contemporaneous so it's interesting because i wonder 
if they've done a contemporaneous review and if they have a review of the 90s 1990 version of or oh i can't remember when bfi stopped that because I, I um i'd heard about this like last year when i was researching one of the movies and so i knew that the, they that they put this out each month um and i did see back then like that it ended i think sometime in the 90s so i probably if they did i don't know if they just did british films though or if they did american films or not i'd be curious because i know like i am not a fan of the 90 version of lord of the flies i think it's a bad adaptation and i would wonder if like maybe maybe the um the closeness to that novel being released to this movie being made i mean i know it's what like 30 years right when mm-hmm. is uh, lord of the flies written in like 33 or something or in the 30s somewhere is that right uh let me see if i can find that real quick um uh, 54 so, so it's yeah, only it's nine years different nine too. years right so that's still a like a pretty current novel and i'm sure it's taken some time to like gain whatever like esteem or notoriety <clears throat> so i don't know I mean, from my perspective, not having read Lord of the Flies in whatever, like 10 or 15 years, like I watching it this time, I still thought it was a great adaptation. And I found like it hit the salient points that it needed to hit. So I don't know, but still enjoyable. Oh, let's see here. Uh, let's see if there's a review here. Um, uh, there's no review on BFI's website for this movie. For the 90 version yeah so yeah sorry there's there's nothing okay. there um <clears throat> so weird list but um i yeah. enjoyed watching all five of the movies to some extent or another yeah i agree yeah. Uh, I mean, well except for uh live and let die fuck that movie oh man i i, I still like i laughed at that movie a lot even though like, it was an embarrassing a bar- embarrassed laugh sometimes Fifty first date should have went there. No, get out of here. You make a list then. <laughs> Tropical movies? No, movies oh, that I don't care about that you oh, always okay. want to talk about for some reason. Oh, okay. I we did that. We did we did that already. Um, no, that was movies I hate, not movies I didn't care about. Oh, okay. These these are things you're like indifferent to. <laughs> right. Like things whenever you bring them up, I just kinda like try and change the subject or <laughs> like make them vague. Can you think like of another, can you think of another movie that I that that happens with all the time? I mean Austin Powers, like every time you bring Austin Powers up, you forced you forced my hand tonight. Like maybe talk about it. I want to talk about that movie. Right. Okay. There's some. There's 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 some others too. I'm gonna I'm gonna start noting them. Like every time you do it, like I'm gonna put them down. Like something like Raw Deal or something, or not Raw Deal. Um, what's, what's the Red other one? Heat. Red Heat. Yeah. You like it's Red more Heat, like right? it's more like Inner Space, where I'm always oh, like, "Oh yeah, I like that movie," and not that I dislike Inner Space, but I don't, I don't want to talk about Inner Space, you know. But like, you always want me to talk about Inner Space, like you're waiting for that to come up on the list, or Big Trouble in Little China, like where you you always want me to talk, you always want me to put Big Trouble in Little China on the list, and I like Big Trouble in Little China, but I don't want to talk about it. But the, it's it's movies like that. Sarah, I just gave you four. Okay, let's think of number five. All right. Well, uh, I'll think about it. Yeah. Well, I'll go back to the original list of the like that I sent you of movies that asking if you hate or not, and I can just right. probably pull from that. I mean, 
I want. I do want to talk about Big Trouble in Little China one day. One of my favorite movies ever. Tell me what you like. Describe the movie a little bit. Tell me what you like about it. <laughs> okay, so um, so that's the list for tonight. So next week we'll be back with oh God, uh, the top five worst <laughs> blockbusters of all time. Oh, it's a bad list. It's <laughs> it's so bad. I I had so ma- so long, so many hours. Oh. So many hours on this on these movies that are so bad. I mean, it's got to be like thirteen hours of total movies, right? Maybe they're, more than they they they're all at least um, two and a half hours. So yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and one of them is three hours and like you know, yeah, not not including credits. It's roughly exactly three hours almost. Oh, I'm not looking forward to watching that movie. Yeah, that's rough. That was a rough one. Um. I'm going to get real drunk, I think, next Saturday on 4th of July when I have nothing to do because we can't go anywhere and uh, watch it. Right. Real drunk. Should be a yeah. fun podcast, then. Yeah, I know. Hopefully, uh, yeah, because, I mean, it's just going to be us, like, shitting on these oh, movies. Yeah. I, I'm, really, I'm really terrified on some of these movies of, like, looking up the positive criticism of them. Oh, some of them are going to have like some really high breaks. Oh, I know. It's like, so, and I'm just going to just. Uh, um, I think the movie that's going to eventually be the number one, and I haven't decided the order yet, is going to be like 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, is my guess. Right. <clears throat> from critics, and hopefully right. like 40% from audiences. All the people loved it when it was out. Yeah. I, I think every single one of those movies, people loved it when they when it first came out, right? Most people loved it. When oh, first yeah, came. audiences. I mean, yeah. that's why they're blockbusters. They sure, all, right, like, right. I, yeah. I went, I went highest grossing movies of all time and worked my way backwards. And the first five that I could not imagine watching again, they were the ones that made the list. <laughs> so right. So and then after the week after that, we'll be doing the uh, top five blockbusters, uh, best blockbusters of all time. So I'm like three out of five movies i think through that list right now um one of them i still i never seen so um yep the um yeah that's interesting um and uh brandy ended up watching it like a couple years ago without me because we talked we were going to watch it and then we just never i just never watched it with her and um so but so yeah, so we have that coming up, and then we'll take probably a week break, is my guess, and then we'll come back at the end of the month and do the top five Americana movies, yeah. um, which is a good list. Um, it's a good so list. Eclectic. You need to change one of them, but because um, we've since you made that list um, almost uh, like eleven months ago, um, uh, you've used one of those movies so far. Oh, you like to tell me after we uh oh, Ice Storm. It doesn't matter. You've already said it. Like you already oh. talked about it. So, but you had Ice Storm on that Americana list originally. But I'm assuming you want to replace it probably since we just talked about it like three months ago or four. Why months don't we ago. just talk about it again since you like it so much? I, I don't. I I, th- I I think you. I think you need to change it. <laughs> I'll think of something. Then. Put I, because I, I, I never want to talk about that. That was that was maybe one of the more combative conversations we've ever had about a movie. Because <laughs> I really dislike that fucking movie. I like that movie because it was like the it's really been the only one that we've had in ter- except for like I would say Garden State, where it's like we've had to get into the white people movie bullshit, right? Right. Yeah. That's that's always your argument against any movie that you don't want to you don't want to enjoy. 
just can't enjoy a movie just because it's got white people in it. And it's about people it's being not, sad. It's about people being sad about their about their. Okay, we're we're not we're not doing this tonight. Um, <laughs> oh, I almost got you. You did. You almost got me. I'm not doing this. Yes. I'm 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 count that as a victory. Yeah, you, you fine. You can. You can. Yeah. I do. <laughs> <laughs> all right so we'll be back um next week and otherwise um everybody be safe wear your masks um and thank you for listening yep have a good week